Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. So I, I kind of thought this was a bit relevant, uh, Daniel, but especially since we're talking about Candyman and Candyman's so... Spooky? Sp- you could say spooky, sure. But I mean, I'm not about to bring up something spooky, but I mean, unless me listening to different music is is spooky, but I started listening to Tupac because we, we play some at my work and I was like, whoa, this is pretty good, which I mean, I knew it was good, but then I, I never listened to gangster rap. I never really got into that. And so I tuned into Me Against the World. Rough album, man. That is a hard album to listen to. Not because it's like what everyone is stereotyped rap to be. Or at the very least, we could say what the generation before us is stereotyped rap to be. Um, But because it's just like a really sad album. (laughs) And I felt like the more I listened to it and then thinking about Candyman, both the original and then having watched the new one, uh, which we were talking about today... I was like, hey, that's kind of been good timing to sort of line up some of my media habits all together wrapped up in one. So I just figured I'd tell you that because I found that interesting. (laughs) Did you know um, that in 2004, they tried to make a Leprechaun versus Candyman movie? That would have been really bad. When they approached Tony Todd with the script, he just said, I'm. I will not do something like this or something like Good. very curt like that. I like. I have no interest in that. And that was just kind of the end of it. So, Were, are the original two sequels kind of as serious as the first movie is? It's a great question. Because I have not seen them. I I also have not seen them because for whatever reason, like, and we'll obviously talk about this, but I've always really liked the Candyman character. Like, I think yeah. he's one of the great. Uh, movie monsters for a variety of reasons. Oh yeah, and I love the first Candyman, even though I, it's been a while since I've seen it. I it's not sitting on my shelf. I should have rewatched it for this, like you did. But um, I had no interest in seeing the the sequels for whatever reason. I don't know mm-hmm. if I just read they were bad and just had no interest in it. Yeah, but I was kind of like maybe I should watch them for this. And uh, from what I've read, so this movie doesn't. This movie own the movie we're talking about today only really. It references the first movie, and it heavily does so more than I expected they would. Yeah, which is yeah. nice. But uh-huh. 
there's nothing that contradicts Candyman two and three, but they also just don't mention it. So I guess they could, I mean, unless there's a sequel to this that directly contradicts the events of the second, third one, I guess it's, that's kind of the fun thing about Candyman. He is, is sentient urban legend. So it could all be canon. Who knows not to get back in the canon conversation. Sure. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I want to be part of a Candyman up <laughs> review. That's like, did you just say that, that podcast episode where they just started talking about Tupac at the beginning? What was that? Like, <laughs> I think it's do they just assume that like, cause it's a black movie. They should talk about rap music. No, <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Just two two uh, white looking dudes, um, which really is just actually technically me. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, I guess if people just haven't seen what you look like, they could just assume you're another white guy with a beard and a podcast who likes drinking IPA. I hate um, IPAs. But like, <laughs> yeah, there we just go. Gotta get right. that right out there. Guess he's um, not white if he yeah. hates IPA. <laughs> but um, I'm like a deceptive Asian. Like, <laughs> let me let me explain. <laughs> Deceptively Asian. <laughs> well, it's like if you just saw me neutral, like if you just saw me standing in the middle of the street, which I guess would be creepy, but you would just be like, I think that guy's white. But if I'm standing next to other Asian people. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, he's definitely Asian. But if I'm yeah. just like it, or if I'm in a crowd of different looking people, like just multiracial, you know, we're, we're all the hands seeing Kumbaya. You'd just be like, oh, that guy looks he looks off. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Daniel's the uncanny valley of the of the cultural yeah. uh, zeitgeist. I, w- I will say with facial hair, it, I, it is like I'm wearing disguise. I've been told I look much, much more Japanese when I'm like clean shaven. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know what that means, but do you do you get the um what is it the the villain makeover when you shave? Because uh, yeah, I just get a yeah. goatee and a long long or just a long mustache, you and know? you're always looking around like you're sneering. <laughs> <It's just> <laughs> yeah, like getting out of your Mercedes Benz. <laughs> you're like the opening scene in Shang Chi when you think Shang Chi's rich, but he's actually just a bus. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, a valet. Always, you're uh, that guy. Um, no, but I was just thinking because like uh, uh, Candyman, the first Candyman movie is so much about um, almost you could say cultural gaslighting, especially like and this is just a lot of what I was thinking of literally just now. I just I I watched Candyman last night and as I'm watching it, I'm going, I think I'm going to go home tonight and I was getting home at like 10 p.m. And I was like, I think I'm going to just watch the first one again. Didn't have time for that. I was way too tired to do it anyway. But I decided I'll set my alarm for 730 and wake up and watch it. And then I slept in and drank coffee to wake up, still did it. And as I'm watching it again, I'm like, this is a movie about like, uh, well, about many things, but it felt a lot like cultural gaslighting and then transitioning Helen's character into experiencing that same gaslighting. And so when the ending happens, it's like, there's sort of this like cultural acceptance of like, you're one of us. That's without spoiling a lot of it. But I think if someone were to watch it, um, forewarning there's nudity in it that I did not remember at all. I knew there were women without bras on, but uh, I did not remember the nudity. Um, but, uh, the way it kind of concludes is, is very much that. And I was thinking a lot about how I've had conversations with, uh, older folks in my church, uh, or at my old church who a lot of them say like, yeah, I just, I can't stand listening to rap because they just sing about, you know, sleeping around and it's violent and this and that. And then I'm, you know, thinking of classic rock, how like almost all of it's pretty sex positive, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's like, I don't know what you're looking at, buddy, but I guess they're just not as clear and overt as some like gangster rap is. But then, yeah, I started listening to Me Against the World and I'm like, this is just an album about like, I almost died 
and I keep seeing all my friends die. I don't know any other way to live. Please God help me. Like the song No More Tears, or is it? It's, I think it's No More Tears. I can't remember. But like, I can't finish that song without getting incredibly emotional because it's so heartbreakingly sad. And I'm like, wh- who told all these people that like all rap music is just about uh, all about horrible stuff? And it's like, it's not. And I and I feel like Candyman kind of has is is the, a film version of sort of that. It's it's displaying how a lot of it's like, oh, it's just, you mean just replace Candyman with the Boogeyman? Oh, they're saying cops are coming after them and ruining them. Oh, they're saying there's a there's a systematic oppression going on. That's just all Boogeyman stuff. It's not real. So that's why. I brought it up. Um, it's because it's very, it seems it's just, it's, I'm experiencing a real world version of that. Um, Cause I never really listened to Tupac. I listened to a lot of rap and hip hop, but I never went back to there. And it's just been interesting doing that while simultaneously as we're, you know, catching Candyman. And uh, so there we go. That's my, that's my reasoning, everybody. I thought it was good. <laughs> my only hip hop opinion right now is everyone should listen to the song ice cream truck by MTA shifty where it's a guy rapping over the ice cream truck jingle. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Wait, which which one? Because there's a couple. I know that. Is it that one? Or is it a different? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So I'm going to play that. Uh, is, I wonder <laughs> if that's like a free licensed one that every single like ice cream truck just decided. That's it. That's our song. Who is who is the rich Scrooge McDuck miser that owns the copyright on that song? <laughs> I guess we'll find Gets out. It's a dollar every time <laughs> you get this. ice cream. Yeah. Uh, it's, I always think it's funny when people say that any genre of music, especially old people, they're like, oh, like rap and hip hop. They just rap about sex and ladies. And like one time I got one of those lectures from somebody. And then 50 minutes later, he was just like, Man, I got tickets to see Motley Crue. You know, oh my Motley god, Crue? I was literally in my head. I was like, "Don't tell me he listens to Motley Crue." Yeah. And then it is. Oh my gosh. Yo, when they sing about girls, girls, yeah. girls, what they what they mean is yeah, 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 yeah like bands like Def Leppard and the Scorpions, Beastie they were just, Boys. They, they were also chased and never <laughs> rapped about the ladies or yeah. and sang about the ladies. You know, or even just like when I think about, I remember being in a heated discussion online where. The people were like, like I made a post about how like, because I was listening to a lot of hip hop and rap at the time. I was really getting invested into it and exploring it um, as a genre. Because I mean, I literally listened to so many different things over time. And then I just changed my my hobby interests and stuff. Like, I think before I was listening to a lot of hip hop, R&B and rap and stuff. Um, so like two or three years ago, it was a lot of Midwest emo and, and kind of exploring that world of like uh, alternative punk and stuff like that. And I remember this discussion online. Or I prompted a discussion basically by being a little cynical going, if I had like a dollar for every white person I've talked to about what I've been listening to lately who said, you should listen to Eminem, then I would be rich. Um, Like, because, and then this guy was like this one person who ended up turning into kind of like a like right wing supremacist kind of dude who I clearly am not talking to anymore. He was really defending like, yo, but all these rappers are saying Eminem's the greatest. And he starts posting several YouTube videos of like other rappers talking about him. And I was like, I get what you're saying. And I'm not going to say it's inappropriate for like people to express themselves in different formats based upon color because that's totally wrong. Like, I, I think I really do believe that. But 
isn't it a little weird that a lot of people in terms of like a whoever whoever particularly rich or powerful or being able to signal boost others specifically chose someone who has far more abrasive lyrics than <laughs> I like I sometimes can't even tune into Eminem because it's just so transgressive even if it is a character but it's become so popular because he's uh maybe white I don't know it just this if anybody's tuning into a partic- an episode of Candyman where we're talking about this and is upset that we're talking about <laughs> racial stuff, I don't know what you're expecting, but but that's just something that I I remember I remember often. Yeah, I uh, all that to say is this is going to be a good discussion uh, between two people that probably are wildly um, unprepared <laughs> for for. But I think if we stick to the movie, we'll do all right. <laughs> Even though we've been 13 minutes and not sticking to the movie at all. But broadly, I think metatextually we are. All, all I'm saying is that Eminem, like he really fell off when he started mostly rapping about him being a rapper. Like when he lost sight of the semi-autobiographical content of his music, which yeah. I think directly correlates to when he became more successful. Because like post the movie Eight Mile, he just completely implodes as a creative. Like he puts that encore, which is terrible. Then he goes, the, can you hear my cat destroying a bag in the background? <laughs> That's awesome. We're keeping uh, that in. Cute little cat. Good job, he, buddy. He, he, oh, baby. <laughs> uh, some people really hate when you call animals, like pets, baby. But like the reason I do it is because animals, pets are, are like kinda, babies. Well, they're dumb like babies. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't mean like his life is as valuable as a human baby. I'm saying that he needs as much guidance as a baby. For example, I'm not actively watching right now, and he's just destroying a plastic bag. <laughs> you know, nice. <laughs> I got a I got a good laugh during a sermon where I was I was I was preaching. I was talking about how I was comparing us to to pets, like how pets know they rely on their owners, but don't really understand the extent of it. You know, drawing a parallel between that and our relationship with God. And I, I was talking about like. And my problem when I'm preaching is sometimes I'll just start rambling, much like when I podcast. And so I was like, and I'm like, pets, pets are so dumb, you know? And I started talking. <laughs> I'm like, pets, they don't understand politics. You can't discuss jazz with them. I just like, get going. <laughs> and like half the audience is laughing. The other half was just like, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> yeah, I've never owned a pet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my cat loves jazz, says one lady. Um, <laughs> are you gonna are you going to stop destroying things? Much like Candyman. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> nice. So I guess do you wanna do you wanna introduce Candyman for us? Candyman 2021, which we now have to call it for the rest of life. <laughs> this is why Doom Eternal is called Doom Eternal. They literally were like there was an interview where they were asked, why'd you add Eternal as the, the sub subtitle? And the developers were like, because we were tired of everyone calling our last game Doom 2016. <laughs> but it's like, how do I separate it? So, Well, you called it Doom. <laughs> at least it's as bad as Shaft, where it's just all three movies are called Shaft. <laughs> and they're all sequels to each other. Yeah. That's the crazy thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, whatever. Candyman 2021. That's what it's called. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you want me to? Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> so, after gestating in developmental hell for a very long time, uh, we finally very get Candyman. Very long time. <laughs> uh, we finally get Candyman 2021 from producer Jordan Peele, directed by Nia DaCosta. Candyman is a direct sequel to the 1992 film Candyman, which itself is a adaptation of the Clive Barker short story, The Forbidden. 
It stars Yaya Abdul-Mateen the second as our main character, who some of you may remember as actually Black Manta from the movie Aquaman. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he stars Anthony McCoy, an artist who is trying to find sort of a new creative spark. And in doing so, he discovers the urban legend of the Candyman. And you know how this goes. As time goes on, he becomes more obsessed with the story. And in some ways, the story becomes more obsessed with him. And then a bunch of Candyman stuff starts happening. People start dying. Uh, but what really anchors the film is that there is a strong subtext to the film. In fact, I would argue that sometimes the film is a little too sometimes much. Sometimes it's just text. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes the just te- characters just say what the movie's about, which yeah. uh, some people find great. Some people find it uh, a little too much. Uh, but the movie has great, strong visuals. It has wonderful mm-hmm. music. It has great yeah. performances all around. Uh, and there's actually more than one returning actor from the first film. It's no surprise that Tony Todd returns as a signature horror character. Uh, there are a couple other fun surprises. And I mean, just to get into a little bit, I will say that Candyman 2021, it a lot of ways combines all of the best instincts of recent horror reboots where it is, it does the Halloween thing where it is a direct sequel to the original film. Uh, but where it's sort of diverse from that is it doesn't try and like, it's not just like remake. It's not just trying to be a remake slash a kind of commentary on itself. Right. Too much. There's elements of that where it definitely is, but it is just a faithful sequel to the original. Mm-hmm. And so if mm-hmm. you're a fan of the original film, you'll really like this one. Uh, I will also say that I like, it's also one of those things where I hate when modernizations, what they mean by that is they just follow the current trends mm-hmm. where like remaking action franchise, but they just, change the style of action where it went shaky cam they make it shake cam now people like more of like the raid style quick martial arts so they'll do that Candyman updates this material really just by progressing the story and the themes from the original it doesn't yeah. just like try and get to i don't use the term woke but it doesn't try and like it doesn't try and capitalize on current trends like there isn't a whole they don't address the black lives matter movement or a cab or any of that stuff it just keeps its uh, thematic material within the context of the same themes where right. they talk more about uh, generational trauma and gentrification and just the ways in which different subcultures in some ways internalize their own tragedy where mm-hmm. Candyman, what was great about the original Candyman is Candyman is a manifestation of the pain and suffering of urban neighborhoods. And now as the, both the Candyman franchise, I guess has gotten bigger. Candyman has still kind of stayed as a faithful like horror fan favorite franchise that really breaking through as mainstream as some others maybe have like yeah. Jason or Freddy. It only has three movies. This and is only the fourth one. one. This is the yeah. fourth one. Yeah. When you compare it to like Halloween or Friday the 13th or Nightmare right. on Elm Street. Oh my god. Or goodness, even yeah. something like Alien or Predator, which have oh, multiple yeah, branches. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh this th- but I hope this one kind of brings it into more mainstream audiences where now it's talking about the Candyman mythos as commoditized and taken by other artists and tried to be broadened. And also it's kind of about how as far away some people can get from their roots, the roots are still there and they kind of, we can't always escape the things that where we come from and, and the pain and suffering therein. So I quite liked Candyman. I, I will say that it's not scary. Like I'm just gonna get that out of the way. Cause people always ask like, well, was it scary? Did it scare you? No, Candyman was not scary almost at all weirdly enough but it's like first off Candyman is a really cool movie monster there's some fun stuff with the way his powers work but as just a creepy story 
I really enjoyed it. Like I like urban legends. I like myths come to life and I like the weird and creepy ways that we sort of like modern sensibilities crash into ancient legend and folklore. Mm-hmm. That stuff always intrigued me. I'm really interested in that movie antlers that's coming out. For example, I keep closing my eyes for the trailer. So I don't know anything about it because I can't wait to see it. I know it's too much stuff in the trailer for antlers. Yeah. I remember what, two years ago they showed it and it looks like they showed the monster and it looks like yes. they showed this. And I was like, what? And so I'm glad that like, I want to see the Wendigo. You know? <laughs> I'm glad. I'm not going to say I'm happy the pandemic happened, but <laughs> it's been long don't enough. That I don't that. remember <laughs> what's in the trailer. It's going to be our banner quote on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm, I'm excited for this October because yeah, antlers looks like, from what I remember two years ago, it looks like it was going to be pretty dope. So I will, I will say that after seeing the only movies I've seen in theaters recently were like, you know, Shang-Chi and Suicide Squad and Black Widow. You just start, I get tired of seeing Free Guy and Jungle Cruise and The yeah, King's Man. It's basically been three years of it's, that. Yeah. It's just those trailers. I saw Candyman and it was like Antlers last night in Soho. Like all these like really like some movie from Neon, his name I didn't remember, but it was like started off with like multiple sex scenes. Yeah. And then it, it just terrible. got violent. Like, oh my gosh. And it's yeah. just like, I was like, mm, the movies, you know, I was like, <laughs> yeah. that's right. There's Never know what I'm going to be exposed to. You know, yeah. when you stop watching movies that are, both for children and people who are 30 and still children like me. Um, yeah. You start seeing trailers for some grown up movies. It's like, oh, that's right. There's like all these other movies coming out that are just way creepier and more intense. <laughs> Last Night in Soho looks amazing. But hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood call to action. Just checking in on you. Hope you're doing all right. I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Wait, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S. and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted, I thought this was like a hobby thing. You it's want me to... expand cinematic doctrine. You know right, this already. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, <laughs> I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as low as $3 a month, you can gain access to exclusive content like The Pre-Show, which features free-form and Christian-friendly discussions on all kinds of topics, as well as influence the podcast. That's right, each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Previous movies our lovely Patreon supporters have chosen are To All the Boys I've Loved Before, Hamilton, Onward, and American Gospel Christ Alone. Huh, you guys have good taste. Anyways, I gotta run, so I'll see you guys later. Yeah, so I really liked Candyman. I don't know, before we get into the sort of spoilery discussion, what did you think of Candyman 2021? Well, I like how you were talking about how the this movie is sort of just a development of the 
previous movies themes because the it really is it doesn't need to touch on things like blm or acob or anything like that it doesn't need to directly it doesn't need to be like transported into portland <laughs> like they yeah. didn't have to do any scene so anything like that uh um, <laughs> especially with like obama summoning Candyman. like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um and then it, it, it tony todd doesn't appear behind him it's just donald trump <laughs> <It's> just like, <laughs> <laughs> i'm back baby <laughs> there's somewhere a saturday night live writer is frantically scribbling in a notebook that's good that's good <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh gotta call seth rogan do the next movie <laughs> oh man but um because yeah like the the one of the consistent like if you read about uh capitalist writing and this isn't me being anti-capitalist here this is actually talking in terms of positive capitalist writing it's like the one of the big primary issues that can't seems to not be resolved is uh basically how the the people who are in the lower class basically dump lower into the lower class and then get pushed into ghetto locations and then ultimately gentrified out of those locations and like the first film is about ghetto and about uh projects living in that sort of environment um even just how it's doing establishing shots is these helicopter shots of roads and if you know anything about how roads are decided in cities it's almost always uh, they're the, usually a lot of, a lot of the development is civil engineers go, Hmm, this will be the most efficient development, uh, for setting up this highway or road. And then it's going through a rich neighborhood, which is typically, uh, privileged white individuals or, um, businessmen who are successful going, I don't want that in my neighborhood. And so then they start paying and pushing for different decision-making, uh, from politicians to put the roads into other areas. Uh, you can look this up and read about it and even see some politicians nowadays who are running to have that stuff totally redone, have roads built in different areas to reignite projects areas into being much, uh, much more safe environments, uh, and healthier environments. And so getting these wide shots of like projects and roads and so much storytelling without it being overt in telling you what's going on going into this movie where literally the introduction is like 1977 Cabrini green, which is the location of the first film, the projects. And then it jumps forward to the present now and it says Cabrini green now, and it's a completely developed location. That's just natural. That's what happens. Um, and that's what happens in 30 years. And so it all, it, it just continues the same exact theming. And I think what's complex about this movie is similar to what's complex about black Panther, where Black Panther isn't so much about systematic oppression from from whites to blacks, but more, uh, I've, I've heard it described to me as like internal black culture frustration between being African-American and then being African and the complex frustration between those two communities. This movie sort of gets into self-black exploitation where Anthony's character is like, he is semi-exploiting the past horror and misery of his own community through his art projects. Right. It's in fact the first like two thirds of this movie are basically what I feel like everybody wanted Velvet Buzzsaw from uh what the <laughs> what is that director's name from Nightcrawler? But Nightcrawler guy. Yeah, yeah. Everybody wanted that movie to be where it's like a lot of what makes art horror movies so fascinating. In fact, this made me think of um, I don't know if you've seen uh The Devil's Candy, which is literally all entirely about uh, yeah, artistic yeah. exploitation of misery. This movie really, really gets into that. 
And I love all that. I thought that was really great. I also like I so I did a double feature. I saw Malignant and then I saw Candyman right after. And uh, whereas Malignant got my more pulp horror, pulp horror primal self reinvigorated, Candyman got a lot more of that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty textual, but I could say subtextual engagement and much more thought provoking um, horror going. And while you felt it wasn't particularly horrifying, I thought scenes of it were intense. And so that's usually if I feel tense and and I feel excited, then I then I would say it's successful horror. So like a couple of the scenes definitely were effective. But what's funny is like one of the particular scenes in the movie, which is seen in the trailer, uh, in which a bunch of white girls say Candyman, which is a great setup. They're like, who would be dumb enough to say Candyman? And it cuts right to the group of white girls. So you're like, ah, that's right. Jordan Peele partly wrote the script. (laughs) Um, And uh, to do that, like the scene's actually kind of funny, but it's also effectively scary because Candyman is just a really Candyman like Jason has a lot of screen presence. Um, and I really got that when rewatching the first one this morning where I was like, man, he, he takes like 40, 50 minutes to get into the movie and, yeah. and then he's there and it's like, this is really, really frightening. And a lot of that's Tony Todd's voice and what they do with modulating it, which I wish they did almost the exact same effects for this one, but they didn't, they, yeah, it, which is a bummer it's a little more. Cause like produced. this in the original film, it's like, they perfectly edit to where like, he's just blaring out both of your speakers. Yeah. And it's like, it's like he's in your head. Whereas in this one, it's more like, yeah, Milo. Yeah, buddy. Both of her cats are making an appearance. What else do you got to say about Candyman? I know, buddy. Yeah, he is freaky. Don't worry though. He only kills a dog. He doesn't kill cats. So you're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go put him away real quick. Okay. One Cause he will, he will not stop talking. I wonder if Melvin listens to these parts or if he just cuts the whole thing. <laughs> I I hear it again, but then I cut it. <laughs> like, Be my victim. Yeah. <laughs> I was so upset he didn't say that once in the remake. Be I my was, victim? Yeah. Be my victim. I was waiting the whole movie for that. I just like that in the first he talks like in poetry the whole time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which happens once in this one. So that was for the OG fans, baby. I was... And I will mention this now <laughs> uh, because this is like the third week. It's a horror movie. It was like 5 p.m. on a Sunday. <laughs> I was the only person in my theater. So yeah. I just like I put up all the armrests and just laid down. And um, wait, like you could in your theater, you can put the armrests up yeah. and then you just laid on your side. Well, like- as we've established earlier, I am also Asian. So I'm a little shorter <laughs> than maybe some other people. Um, but <laughs> yeah, but no, it's so, like I moved, put up some of the armrests and I was able to like kind of like lay down. Recline across like you were yeah. laying on the side of your couch. It was awesome. But That's great. I walked into a theater and there was like uh, two parents and like their kid and they had like blankets down they were like setting up a whole couch thing they had snacks and toys everywhere that's like what we do we well we don't take toys but we'll take blankets <laughs> we'll take uh travel blankets and then we'll bundle up and man our theater was cold this time it was i wish oof. i brought a pillow in mine because i was like no, this, this is missing one thing but yeah. i was like i was like you're in my seat and i was like really a miffed because i bought a ticket to a theater I was the only person i was like how did they manage to not just show up last second but also sit in my seat and then it registers like, wait a minute, there's like kids and stuff here. And the guy was like, uh, I don't think we did. And I realized I walked in the theater for Jungle Cruise. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> 
And I was like, oh, sorry, sorry. And the guy just looked really annoyed. Like, who is like they they planned a whole Sunday out with their family. They have kids. And, you know, they were like, finally, and we found a theater where no one else is seeing this, you know, because everyone else is watching at home at Disney Plus. We don't want to get our we don't want our kids to get COVID. Good job. Yeah. Dan. <laughs> just me with like my big drink. Like, oh, I think I'm supposed to be here. Why are you guys seeing Candyman? That's not good for kids, you know. So I had a that was my. Complete polar opposite of my previous theater experiences where I was the only person. I got to pump my fist in the air when he starts doing the Candyman poem thing. You know, and just chant Candyman, Candyman. That's how I wanted so no one could stop me, you know. After rewatching the first, I wish the beginning opened with his monologue. Because I, I was I forgot how haunting the beginning of the film is. In the first film, where it's just a bunch of bees, he monologues, and then you see uh Chicago overtaken by like a mist of bees. I was like, oof, that is the first one is so good at building the legend of Candyman. I think in this one, they just assumed that if you're seeing the new Candyman, you know, Candyman, but like you really feel like you're investigating a legit folklore urban legend for the first like 40 minutes, which is what makes horror great. Yeah. Horror mysteries are really good, which is probably why the world's talking about malignant right now is because it's also a really good horror mystery. It's this like, you get to explore with your character. You get to question whether it's real or not. Because, like, yeah, the first one is like, is Candyman real? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe right. not. And they really pull you along. They really pull you along. And then the second they're like, Candyman's real, they just throw you in the deep end. It starts. And it's oh, like a whole man, other oh, movie. Man, is he real? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild. It's good because, like, the first one, there's this palpable sadness to the movie where oh, it's yeah. just it's so almost oppressive and i think a lot of that's philip glass's uh soundtrack because yeah. it's so gothic and like just dreadful <laughs> and the soundtrack perfectly marries with the kind of drab setting and you really it really this movie to an extent as well really drives home why i'll harp on like using real locations and sets for movies and stuff because there's a lived-in quality both in both the this Candyman and the movie it's a sequel to yes that yes. you can't get just shooting on a green screen or you know you can you can digitally add things like you know broken windows and stuff in the background but like there's an earthiness and like a tactile like rundownness to the neighborhoods in both films that you can't do you know it's a perfect response to watching Shang Chi last week where. Just so much of it is just we're we're in a blue room right now, and we're gonna just put in effects in the background. Uh, like I I really loved when during a particular scene, which we'll get into spoilers, I guess in a, in a hot minute or two. Like just to be more free to talk about it, but there's a scene where after uh, a revelation is made, we're zooming away from the apartment, and it's like oh yeah yeah, and, and it's just this great scene that's like I think is part of why like. Sometimes in horror art movies, you have to like question like, do I be scary or do I be existentially dreadful? And like that scene itself is more dreadful in the fact that it's just like it reminds you of Rear Window where it's like, here's this massive apartment and congregation of people and like bold as day. It's right there. (laughs) It's happening, but nobody sees it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Something about that just really triggers a lot of like just like you're saying palpable earthiness, like this actually happened, which is what you want in movies. You want it to feel really like it's actually happening. Um, Because already by sitting in the theater, you are suspending disbelief. But when you keep doing that with CG, it gets really frustrating. And that's probably why 
I mean, even talking the last scene where if you're going to do some really bad deep fake work, uh, it's just, it's annoying to, it's annoying to have to suspend my disbelief more and more. Man, it stands out. Does it stand out? Yeah. And I don't know why they did it. Like even we're driving home and Kat's like, you put foundation on an old man and it makes him look young. I don't know why you had to like (laughs) do it the way they did it, but. And knows he'd be like, man. I don't like how Tony Todd got old. You know, yeah. I mean, like, people love Tony yeah. Todd. They're not gonna be like, <laughs> yeah. uh. Was it in um in one of the red letter media discussions of a I forget what movie they're talking about. Maybe it was Black Widow, and uh, they were saying how in Doctor Sleep they were glad that they just recast character uh, people to play characters from yes. The Shining, yeah, and it's yeah. like everyone ex- is totally fine with that because The Shining's like forty or fifty years old. I don't need you to just like de-age people who are like yeah. No one's going to be retired. caught off guard yeah. that Jack Nicholson looks older. We've had yeah, a lot of time to get forever. used to Jack Nicholson. You know, <laughs> yeah, he's looked old for his entire life. So it's just like I don't know, but uh, I guess we should uh, go ahead and. Like, I guess to, to kind of discuss more of the movie, it definitely requires early on spoilers into like the rest. So uh, if you haven't seen Candyman, then there you go. If if you have seen it, cool. Keep keep listening. If you don't care, keep listening. But is there any? Yeah, Dan, is there anything like with how the movie plays out or some of the decision making or even the third act, which I definitely had some frustrations with that, like that you want to get into? Uh, so first off, I will say that. I saw the original Candyman in optimal circumstances where I was at a sleepover with friends and we were looking for a scary movie to watch. And uh, I will say that also I was with friends who are more, you know, movie people, you know, because it's like Candyman isn't a great movie for a sleepover if you just want to see people die and whatever, because everything get restless in the beginning part. But as the type of person who would one day have a movie podcast, everyone (laughs) was like, Dan, what should we watch? And I was like, let's watch Candyman, partially because I had seen every other movie that was like on demand or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we all loved it. And it was like the way my friend described it is my friend was like, that was like a he said first he said it was an evil masterpiece. And then he said it was a You know, I think I remember you telling me about this. Yeah. Yes. It was like it was this like you all went through the fire together yes. <laughs> and came and we out renewed. Like, oh, what a good movie. <laughs> yeah. And I will say this movie does a pretty good job of capturing some of that early feeling where because there's this running motif where you see like a puppet show playing out. The, I love that. Yeah, uh, it's great. It's it really works. And they actually continued over the end credits. Yes, where the they, entire time. Yeah, it's great because they go through because one of the things they establish is that Candyman is and one of the, one of the more talky scenes I enjoyed where they talk about Candyman isn't a single person. He is a sort of ongoing um, vengeful, almost like a vengeful spirit, which, you know, he is, he is the people that were lynched or beaten up by mobs or victims of hate crimes. He is this like externalized, like frustration and almost like, and by the end of the movie, he's like almost an an anti-hero Avenger of, (laughs) of, of people who experience like racism and hate, which I have some mixed feelings on, but like, I think as a horror movie character, it really works, but also totally it's like the original Candyman you got a lot more of a sense where it's like he's a purely negative force because he's like he's like the collective souls of all of this pain and suffering and so he's not somebody you want to be around this movie kind of pivots thematically where you don't want to be around but you just have to come to terms with the fact that he is there and maybe you even need him and so i i maybe i need to sit with that feeling a little more mm-hmm. because there's one of the other returning characters is what's her name? She's the other female lead in Candyman. The first one? 
what's so the, his mother it turns out is a returning character from yes first his mother is the is the woman living in the apartment who works at the who's a waitress yes and yeah. so she's back and she's great her one scene she's just awesome she's mm-hmm. really good and mm-hmm. it turns out that um if if our, if you remember back to the original film like what's her name rescues a baby from candy man and it turns out the early character is that baby which right. Wow, what? But it, to, you know, we talked about previously about continuity where, done well, it could really enrich a story and give it more depth and make it feel bigger. And I think this is a great example of that. Yes, where it is an ongoing thing where it ties into that theme where, like, the baby that gets rescued in the last movie, nope, <laughs> that kid is still being chased by a good old Candyman. Yeah, so it's like almost that release and like that relief from that first movie. They're taking it away from you, which is so fun for horror i think yeah it didn't it doesn't ruin the first film that that this happens in this no and they do really good they do a good job of in lore making it reasonable and like 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 you're saying you kind of had to sit with this idea of like Candyman is this like horrible force that you just have to accept exists and like do we like that because like for me it felt like the in the first one uh, Candyman says a lot more. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> and so I was thinking of, I, I, I wonder if the group of writers really looked at a lot of what he's saying. Like he says often, like, I need to shed innocent blood, uh, which is really interesting because, and that makes him sound much more villainous, much more evil. But like, how else we can get people to care, you know? Right. And he, and, and I think too, like knowing how the first one ends. So <laughs> spoilers for the first one. Um, <laughs> You've had like how, 30 years to see it. I know you, if you didn't catch it yet, <laughs> then there you go. But, and this movie kind of spoils anyway, but like, I'm talking like in the first film at the end, uh, Helen becomes basically like Candyman, uh, mm-hmm. her husband who was cheating on her um, and gaslighting her basically saying, I'm not cheating on you. I'm not cheating on you. How he, he says Helen's name five times. Helen shows up and kills him. And, um, I was thinking how this movie kind of continues the theme of like the internalized frustration that you can have in being gaslighted and in, in being told you're lying. Cause like, that's a big theme of the first one is an entire community is being told they're lying about the horrible things that are happening. They're calling the police and the police are like, nah, it's not, it's just the gangs. And it's like the gangs in some ways are protecting them, but then also the gangs are exploiting them. Um, and even the waitress woman, uh, whose name I forget, uh, she even says like, you know, we're not all like that. Some of us are just trying to take care of our kids and she's just, she's the most, it's, it's what makes that movie so sad. (laughs) It's like, she is just, just trying to take care of her baby and even has a dog to protect her because her, her husband probably left her or maybe she was assaulted. I don't know. But like, and so then in this movie, it really carries on that like Candyman is this figure of frustration of like. We can't just keep being gaslighted anymore. And so like he's, yeah, he's turned into sort of this anti-hero. But then like after rewatching the first one, it almost felt like that was the case anyway, where like he is this, we're all afraid of him. But then also Candyman is like in the film itself when he's introduced is actually like taking out the people who are telling Helen she's lying the whole time. But then, so it's like, I don't know, it seems like not only is this man, he this manifestation of fear, because he really is, he totally is, and everything about him is frightening. (laughs) Just the way he floats all the time is just so scary. (laughs) And even in this one, when he's floating around, it's just, they just, it's just so frightening. I mean, I guess it's, it does come down to kind of a little bit of interpretation, because like, to me, like, Candyman felt more like, like, the fact he's affecting, like, 
single moms as well as everyone else. Like it's, he's just like, cause it sort of talks about the indiscriminate nature of like the oppression and, and pain and, and things, and things are going on in like these, you know, these impoverished neighborhoods where like, Oh, the police just pass it off as like, Oh, that's just gangs right. versus like, we're not taking responsibility for what's happening where Candyman is almost like this, like, general evil that isn't focused anywhere and i guess like i don't know if maybe i'm just not in tune with the way that the theme is evolving like sure. as, as it changes with our understanding or the general even like the general societal feelings of the time on these issues where now there's definitely a societal feeling that these these problems are not just not noticed or brushed under by the powers that be but almost encouraged or um, created exploited for money or exploited is a better term for it. Yeah. And so now it's like candy bands coming home to roost is more of a kind of a feeling, which that I can gel with more. I just meet for me. It felt a little bit more too much. Like they're trying to turn candy man into <laughs> not just like a franchise player in a cynical way where they're like, this could be our Freddy. Like people love Freddy. Let's make candy man a likable character too. Yeah. But more. It's just like, I don't know. Like it just, maybe it just didn't, land as well as it could have it, it doesn't maybe... land that well yeah okay good right. I, 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 <laughs> i'm in agreement with you the third act yeah. it just sort of starts guys like i need a witness and then it's yeah. just like all right let's pick up the camera and bring it over <laughs> like it's it is that it is gets a little there. weird but yeah it, it yeah it everything else about everything else about it's great like i like the way that the legend of Candyman evolves and like i like the whole thing about it's being commodified where now it's like even the and I guess you get, I don't know, this may be getting the thematic material that I just don't know anything about, but the idea of like, there's these artists who, cause like one thing I don't, I'm not crazy about is while the first movie, there's all of these great shots where you just see, you know, a white lady walking among like ruins, basically. There right. you go. You don't need to comment on it. It speaks for itself. This movie almost opens with a conversation about gentrification. And then 20 minutes later, it talks about artist exploitation and misery. And then I feel like 20 minutes later, it, it t- definitely talked about something else and it just sort of keeps going. It keeps doing that. Yeah. It's, they yeah. just, they go into the Reddit comments under a new episode of, you know, pod save America or Chapo trap house. Right. And then they like, just have Ooh, someone read good. it on screen. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I, it goes back to a review I read from a, a film critic called, uh, whose name is Angelica Jade. And the way she put it is, the movie feels like it's written for white audiences in the sense that they're saying things out loud that black audiences just intrinsically understand. Already know, yeah. You know, which I saw that, bef- I read that before I saw the movie and I just could have put it in the back of my mind and think about it. And then it kind of came back to me while I was watching the movie. I'm like, oh yeah, that's kind of what she's talking about. Where Yes. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yep. I And I understand the need for that because it feels like somebody somewhere along the line was like, you need to make sure this makes sense to everyone. Like you need to make sure that your movie, you know, that these themes maybe they're a little too because but at the same time like part of me doesn't doesn't hate it because jordan peele who's credited as a writer on this like his previous two films are anything but subtle you know (laughs) yes and like so i don't know if it's just his style because he's initially i thought he was just producing but then the credits he's listed as one of the three writers in the film yes yeah i don't know how much of his influence we didn't even talk about that but i like how this uh, this movie does a reverse of the first film's establishing shots of the city. Yes. The first ones are facing down at the roads and, and buildings. And then this movie does, you'd have to look up, but tilt further, further back and then put your camera up and you see the Chicago skyline uh, upside down reversed 
as it's in the clouds and it just it's very haunting and also the music's great in this it it does some good callbacks to the original score and then it's got this like hunting strings motif i'm trying yep. to i it's just great it's it's all really effective yeah and uh, the opening like titles for the production companies are all you're seeing them from the opposite direction it's like looking in a mirror you're looking which mirror. threw me off until literally this morning and me and cat were like oh it's you're like you're looking in a mirror That's yes cool. yeah because then well it's it, then like the movie opens up on a shot of someone performing a puppet show and then it zooms out from that sort of establishing that you're looking in and so yeah there's this kind of this running thing of like Candyman and the people he affects we as an audience as well as a lot of the main characters are outsiders looking in on these issues and Mm -hmm. the suffering and so we're trying to understand via you know his artwork or even as viewers watching a horror film and then in the case of where Candyman has almost chosen this guy to to take over for him (laughs) you know like a very forced apprenticeship and so like he then becomes one with the subject, kind of like the first movie where like the movie literally ends with her being like a mural, just like Candyman. Yeah. Where she has become legend just like Candyman has. But it's like we're there. She it almost like she earned her stripes and she earned the right to be among the people, be a suffering and saving a baby and stabbing Candyman. Um, here, he just sort of like gets absorbed by like the goo that is Candyman yeah. and his bees, which I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't in the mood for it to become that kind of weirdly silly by the end. Because Candyman is so genuinely creepy as a character. Like, there's a great elevator scene. And the first kills in the movie are awesome. Like, the whole sequence is great. Which, I don't know how you feel about the kills in the movie. Uh, Good. Fine. Yeah. they. (laughs) Like I said, they they were effective, thrilling, exciting, freaky. And it's just, it's it's an effectively unsettling movie where... You're sort of I'll like, say it's unsettling, yeah. like you kind of always know what's going on, but I, I, and I, after rewatching the first one, I feel like this Candyman feels the exact same where like, he's not afraid to just show himself. And that's part of what makes him so scary. Like in this one, um, there's like a mirror shot where you have a very long prolonged scene of like, oh, yeah. of our protagonist looking at himself in a mirror, but he is Candyman. And then the woman he's talking to returns and then Candyman's just in the second mirror behind and he's just still there. And there's sort of like this frightening presence of like, he, he is like a lot of the frustration in horror movies is you'll have scenes where the villain is there and then your protagonist turns around and then the villain's not there anymore. And you're like, okay. So the char- the villain clearly knows he's in a movie and he was only there to scare the audience <laughs> because that would have been the perfect time to kill this character. But now they're just gone. Uh, case in point, watch The Strangers knowing that that's the case. And it just kind of makes the movie fall apart where a scene is a character running in the woods, running away and the killer is right behind them. But then the character gets up and the killer is gone. So the only explanation is that this non paranormal person just decided to duck behind a tree. I yeah. don't know why they do that, <laughs> but yeah. it's a thing. It's because they know that they're in a movie. Um, but in <laughs> Candyman, it's more like he just knows he's so powerful and so ethereal and so in tune with who he is that he doesn't have to do things immediately. And so, like, there's just this unsettling, like, every figure in the movie is powerless. And you're just learning how much more powerless they are. Now, that is much more apparent in the first movie, (laughs) um, beginning basically with the 
parking lot scene, which is just just terrifying and then gets more terrifying as it transitions to the uh, baby abduction scene. But like, uh, yeah, it's, this movie does that a bit. And I, I think it's, it's just frustrating. Cause yeah, then it like keeps going up and up and then the third act happens and it kind of falls apart. But then you go, of course, get this cathartic scene uh, where all of these basically really, really, really bad police officers get just ripped apart. And <laughs> I had an interesting theater experience too, where I had an entire family in the front row in front of me who were on their phones and some of them were kids and some of them were just talking uh, when there wasn't Ugh. just violent things happening. And then behind me, when I actually came into the theater, this I sat down and this couple had their feet up and they're adults. So it's kind of weird. And they had their feet up on the chairs that were mine. So I just decided I will just go to the next chair. Um, and then they asked me like, Hey, where's C? Where, which row is that? Is that actually row F? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, we're supposed to be in row R. And I get up and I look and it only goes up to H. I'm like, are you seeing Candyman? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, then uh, what seat are you? <laughs> Anyways, they didn't seem all that in it, <laughs> into it, even before the movie starts. And then at the end of the movie, when uh, the can basically like, everyone's dead except for the wife or girlfriend and a police officer's telling her her options. You can either say that the man was going after the officer and the officer shot him in self-defense, which is not true. Um, which by the way, this scene was really confusing. I don't know if this was because they had to cut it to a 90 minutes. I don't know. But anyways, then he says another option or, we can just say that you attacked them and you were an accomplice and this guy killed everybody. And the guy behind me goes, pick option one. <laughs> and I was like, of course, the older white humor man would say, pick the option. That's where a good deal. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. That means you don't get. And it's like you are exactly you are the person this movie is written for, where all of the scenes that I wish were more subtle are made textual for you who still didn't get it. So I was basically sandwiched, I think, between two groups of people that didn't understand it. An entire family row that was like, I'm here to watch people die and not actually be told what's going on. And then a seat of people behind me that is just an older white couple that's probably going home, driving in their Prius and can't wait to go back to their three three bedroom, two and a half bath place. I don't know. You you good? You good, Melvin? I'm, I'm just letting it roll. But... <laughs> Anyways, I, I that was actually driving home. I said to Kat, I was like, because uh, so, you mentioned Jordan Peele's other stuff being pretty obvious, like to the to to his own fault, because us, if you think about it, falls apart. It does not make any sense if you think too much about us. But us is really cool because of a lot of the visual motifs that he's drawing on. But the thing about a lot of this discussion about systematic racism and even artistic display of systematic experiences is that no matter how obvious you get it, people refuse to believe it. And I think I think that's almost to the film's benefit that it's like, it's so blatantly obvious what it's talking about and characters don't get it. And either would just rather profit off of it or believe it's not true. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what else could be done. Like you can't, you couldn't even... You could pull a Spike Lee and just put the last 10 minutes of your movie being live footage of like police beatings and stuff. And you'd still have some white guy walk out and be like, hmm, those were some good effects. <laughs> and he just doesn't believe it's real. So 
uh, I don't know, but but it does draw it does draw away from the movie as a film goer to be so obvious because the first movies, the first fifteen minutes are wow, like this white couple who's a prof- both of which are professors and researchers are living in a gentrified neighborhood, and then then the rest of the movie just takes place and it's not nearly as overt. And then this movie, yeah, every 20 minutes it's overt. So I don't know. I, but I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, that's just, that's just the movie. Like it's, it's not, I can't, I don't really want to complain about it just being itself, but like, yeah. Anyways, that's, that's my Ted talk and and my ventilation of (laughs) being sandwiched between two groups of people that I don't think understood a single thing about this movie. Anyways, that's a bummer. But we did. My wife and I had a good time. That's it was, good. It was a good movie. Candyman 2021. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. I'll also say that it's very well shot. Like oh, the movie yeah. looks great. It is great. a beautiful movie. Um, yeah. I'm very excited for what Nia DaCosta does with the Marvels. She's doing a Marvel movie after that. That's, that's right. Yeah. That's, that's that, right. That's the, the pipeline now. That's the usual thing now is you make one good movie that's sort of lower budget, kind of indie horror, and then you get you got bought out by Warner Brothers to direct Jurassic World. Bought or out. <laughs> bought out by Marvel to direct a new Marvel movie. She did another movie that I haven't seen. It's called Little Woods. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. I heard it's good. Is that the one with uh, Flip? What is her name? Tessa Thompson. Yes, Tessa Thompson. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, overall, I also say that, like, going back to your earlier point about, like, the whole, like, the villainous stalking his victims thing. With, like, Candyman, it makes sense given both his, like, stated abilities and limitations. Yeah. Where he is sort of, like, so, like, in that sense, it works. He's, like, he's just, you see him in reflections. He's watching from somewhere, waiting for a moment where he can be unleashed. And in this case, the reason he doesn't kill the main character is he has some other dark, nefarious purpose for him. So that makes sense. But also thematically, as that's my thing. Like I don't, I don't really care if horror characters always make complete sense logically, because thematically, it's kind of right. what you're going for. Like as a looming presence in the back of your mind, Candyman makes a lot of sense. Where yeah. for some of the characters, they want to forget him because he represents where they came from. For other ones, they don't want to. They just don't want to believe that he's real, which ties into the whole like thing where you just summon him. Where for some people, he'll never show up because they don't know about him. They don't know his name. They don't. They don't. He's not a even an abstract thought in their mind. Why would they even know about him in the first place? Hence why. It's not, it's not like the bye-bye man. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's literally, totally. if you think about it, you've, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what are these rules? <laughs> that should have been the movie Tony Todd said yes to. It's Candyman versus yeah. the bye-bye man. Yeah, versus bye-bye man. Who will be the best man. Versus Bible know? man? Or bye-bye man versus the Bible man? That'd be cool. I'd be down for that. Just immediately cast them both into hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so like, I'm totally down with that. As far as a movie monster, which I know is not the most nuanced thing. I, I, I love this thing where like I'll ramp, I'll rant and rave about people who complain about power levels and abilities for superhero movies. Then we get to Candyman. And I'm like, I like the fact that he has to be in mirrors you know, <laughs> or whatever. But it's good like, power. There's rules. That's, what, there's that's rules. what the real thing is. It's like and, and that's a new rule because he wasn't limited to mirrors in the first movie dude he's asleep in the first movie he's just literally yeah. asleep on like a slab which is just like i love that man it's so cool like all these weird things where you're like what is this does is he just like a person like what is this who is and the then, candy like, man yeah yeah and it just adds so much mythology to it and so like i don't mind that this yeah one he just, just like, like bursts through walls and stuff in the first movie. Yeah, <laughs> he just shows up like yeah and so in this one the fact that they're like ah oh, he's just he's only in reflections cool i don't mind like what, whatever he can do whatever he wants and it's in the first one establishes he changes like it's, yeah so why not well, also, why you not? could also just believe that because he gets like 
he gets like directly like attacked and vanquished too. So mm-hmm. you could argue that this is this is like his version of like Freddy waiting for people to remember him thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this movie does end with him just walking around. So you could now he's back at full power, I guess yeah, you could say. Yeah, that's right. Just like Nightmare 2. Yeah. Yeah, just just like Nightmare 2, which you you keep uh, referencing. Yeah, I brought that up before. Which you, which yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of apt reference, you know. I, I will say also, like, part of what makes Candyman so, to me, intriguing as a character compared to, say, a Jason Voorhees is that you know Candyman. a he has like set goals like there's there's a clear thing he wants as opposed yes. to like other characters that are just like i murder you know, and i kill <laughs> i haven't killed anyone recently so i must change that which or jason who hates sex J- so. jason's jason's on twitter posting mdk and then, <laughs> and then you got okay. you got a uh, freaking um candy man posting articles from new york times <laughs> like this is why i kill cops this yeah. is why i hate people this is my new yorker <laughs> article about the, <laughs> yeah. the 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 guilt i feel as i sit in a bodega eating a sandwich a new york know, times would probably publish an article by candy man considering they published i think they, <laughs> a couple years ago yeah a couple years ago they posted an op-ed from the taliban or something i I can't remember. So it's like, which is real. This is real. Like New York Times, they publish some interesting things. Interesting is a good word for it. I mean, it is the news. So I guess I get you can't say people weren't interested. And you figure a lot of people who rail on the New York Times are being left and they're on the right saying you need to hear both sides. Look, the New York Times, they played the Taliban. That's oh, both boy, sides. They, they did it. They, they both sides this one. <laughs> they literally did it. <laughs> the absolute madman. So, yeah, they would totally publish a Candyman article. They got to get, you know what? News publications and late night needs to get back to having fictional characters on their shows. I mean, you you had Jason on um, Letterman, was it? He was on the Arsenio Hall show. And I think they there were a couple other people who are in character that were on late night shows. So yeah, have, have Tony Todd walk on with a stump and a hook for his right hand. Have him be in character. Have some bees come out of his mouth. Yeah. Just talking about his upcoming role as Venom in the new Spider-Man game. They do. Is he? That's pretty yeah, cool. Isn't it perfect casting? He's just got such a good voice. He did he did the voiceover stuff for Hellfest. I don't know if you've watched that one yet. It's a good Oh, that's cool. It's a good spirit Halloween themed movie. So I'm still waiting for this year's Spirit Halloween movie. He uh he also is Zoom in the Flash TV show. And of course he's the 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 guy in the Final Destination movies who is just in my head he's just Tony Todd. He just loves death. <laughs> that's yeah, that's my also, speaking of voices, uh, Virginia Madsen shows back up as Helen Lyle recording new vocals. Oh, that's pretty cool. Right? Oh, Cause, right. Because there's that tape. The, yeah. the one tape, I guess. Because I was like, I don't remember this tape in the movie, in the first one. So Yeah, they got her back. So That's cool. Isn't that cool? Bring him out of retirement. Ah, you want a new car? Yeah, we'll, we'll give you some money. So, I mean, I don't know if there's anything. Like, Candyman, it's also, it's 90 minutes. So it's yeah, beautiful. It's a quickie. <laughs> it does nice. It doesn't drag it it, it, it weirdly it felt kind of like they kind of ran out of ideas at some point. Like, yeah. Which when, is weird. When it's just like, all right, I have a witness. I'm like, what? What do you mean? And then it yeah. goes ahead and just so goes for, into it. For those who don't know what we keep kind of complaining about, there's the movie goes there's a great twist which reveals that um, our main character is the baby that was stolen by Candyman in the first movie. And in keeping with the storyline. Candyman apparently wanted him to be his successor, supposedly. So early, very early on in the movie, the first fifteen minutes, he gets stung by a bee, and which we you know Candyman good body loves heart. bees. Yeah. And yes, it would, it's gross. Like the the thing keeps getting bigger and bigger, just like covering his body. He starts like peeling off scabs and stuff. It's really gross and great, and which is cool. And then 
if you've watched a horror movie, you're expecting him to like become Candyman or whatever. But yeah. the way they do it is his body just become kind of like a beehive, yeah, essentially. Like honeycombs. They're like a honeycomb. Yeah. Hardcore it's, tripophobia. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I don't even know if it's a, 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 officially a thing. I know people talk about it. I know it it's a, a Tumblr online. thing. Yeah. yeah. Where, you'd, where you'd put it in unsuspecting tags, which was yes. not nice. Very not nice. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole Facebook groups I was into. They'd post that for some reason, but I don't even like thinking about it. Like it's so. Oh, <laughs> but then you won't like this movie. Uh, yeah, because that's it. Didn't the guy hit me. Becomes. Didn't hit me in this, so that's good. But I also was like prepared for it. I was like, oh, he's turning into a beehive. Cool. And then I'm like, those are some good effects. <laughs> Neat. <laughs> I like movies, says Melvin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and there's this other guy that the movie who's like the knowing local. So he goes to him and the guy tells yeah. him the stories about Candyman. And he has a great, he has some great lines talking about how a whole Candyman uh, is the whole beehive, how he's all the things in the past. And so. Which is great. That's great theming too. We, yes. Like he is. Candyman is the boogeyman is the your your friend your black friend was not killed by police brutality he did something wrong and he was killed I mean 2020 the amount of times that I heard a friend say well George Floyd did use a fake 20 oh my gosh you don't <laughs> you don't get killed for using counterfeit money this is ridiculous and so yeah it's it's it is perfect to have him be like all of these people, and he starts listing off in in the film's fictional universe, but it might as well have just <laughs> named real people. Um, all of these people were Candyman. They were all killed out of racism, and the end credits shows them through like little puppets, um, which is just like the end credits is really like like I was ready to like talk to my wife about the movie, and I'm watching them like, oh man, my mood is not good now. Like I am down in the pits, right where it wants me to be, because it's showing uh, a artistic de- a depiction of these people and these figures being um well basically being candy manned they are being converted into just a fake myth like oh that's not real they weren't killed out of racism nah, i think i think they were like that's got to be what it was but yeah then yeah that guy you can continue yeah he he basically brings candy man back <laughs> <laughs> so yeah he um as a kid he's like inadvertently responsible for the death of the tony todd version of candy man oh just a freaky <laughs> horrible great scene. scene great just, scene yeah horribly great yeah it's just so sad and uh so he's been secretly pumping this guy up because you know he, he kind of gets his sense for what's happening and so he wants he wants to set him up to be killed by the police, basically, so he can become the new Candyman. His tragedy will spread. And I guess there is some modern commentary in the movie after all. So and then he gets killed. So he kidnaps the guy's girlfriend, too, because she's snooping around and he tries to chase her down to kill her. And then she like viciously murders him. And <laughs> awesome. Which is cool. I and, think he's dead. The person behind me. You think so? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, your theater sounds horrible. It was it was rough. <laughs> and so yeah, the police show up and they shoot our main character who's now dressed in Candyman and has had his hand cut off and a hook stuck in his arm stub. Uh it's sort of a weird meta moment. The guy's like, you know, the legend changes, but some stuff you gotta stick to, you know. And so he's like, he's gotta have a hook hand. Which I was like, that's right, he does, you know, as I'm holding mm-hmm. my action figures of Candyman in the theater. And um <laughs> and then the police your come. Funko Pops. Yeah. Your Funko Pops that spoil the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well I, yeah, I, I I don't know if they made pops for this movie, but you guarantee they did. there would there would be they one. They spoiled said, the movie. There's different oh, versions, they? and of course the chase is probably uh the new candy uh, man. Was the, yeah. And uh yeah, so the cops come and they shoot him and then uh new candy man 
murders all the cops after his girlfriend says the name Candyman five times and she realizes that the fix is in and the popo are going to try and make her either cover for the cops or make an accessory to murder. And so then he comes and kills the cops and he says the, the monologue thing from the first movie. And then he looks like a bad CGI guy covered in bees. So we finally get our version of the Marvel villain swarm, which is neat. And then he ends the movie by saying like, tell, tell everyone. everyone. And then yeah. the credits roll and are cool. That's the end of the movie. And I, not a huge fan of it. I like a lot of the ideas at play. Like I like mm-hmm. the idea that Candyman is a successor and that the real evil is police corruption. I'm fine with that kind of thing in horror movies. That's often the theme in horror movies is that yeah. the villain is almost a secondary thing to what's really going on. The mm-hmm. real villain of Jaws is the guy who won't close down the beach uh, for 4th of July or whatever, you know. But uh, yeah, Dan, what kind of recommendations do you have uh, to, to get us started? A good a good Bible commentary recommendation reads uh, Joel Beek has a uh, commentary on the book of Revelations. Uh, I'm going to recommend it, but not just because Joel Beek is he, he's currently he's co-writing a great uh, reform systematic theology that's come out. Volume three is coming out soon. Those are terrific. Uh, but I'm just going to start going to go through start going through the book of Revelation with my high school Sunday school class because I let them vote on what they want to talk about. And so I get to talk about whether or not the vaccine is a mark of the beast with my kids. So. It's not. It's not. Uh, so awesome. that's my recommendation for commentary. And I have a fun recommendation after this. But I, I'm going to bring it full circle. I'm recommending you listen to Tupac's Me Against the World. Uh, if you, <laughs> I, I'm being full serious. It's, um, I, I, it's good. Obviously, like there's going to be stuff that's going to be transgressive, especially if you try to listen to some of his other stuff. Um, but like, I think if you want to... Candy, Candyman opens literally the film's at least the first one and then this one are just literally about like cultural engagement and cultural gaslighting specifically um, black and, and uh, that, that particular sphere of world. And so if you want to like actually understand like all that, listen to me against the world, it's good. It's very overt with it's with it is, it is text <laughs> as we joke. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a really, really good one. And it's also, I think it's really good for like, you know, we, we've, you've quoted the, um, I think it's a Lewis thing you said, or no, it's a sprawl thing where it's like, like if someone's going into hell, they better be going into hell with your hand wrapped around their ankle. Spurgeon. Spurgeon. That's right. And this is one of those cases where it's like, I mean, so many tears, man. It is literally like, that is the anthem of like, look, wrap your hand around his ankle. Like you need to, like, obviously it's like, this isn't me going because, you know, he's alive. He's living in Cambodia uh, independently, like like a lot of jokes online will be um, where he's going to come back as four Pac or something. But like, uh, <laughs> but, but, well, because three Pac already existed and also died at a young age, which is really sad. Check out three Pac on YouTube. But uh, yeah, I um that's that's going to be my recommendation. Tupac's me against the world. Uh, first, uh, first, I, before we get into I'm going to shout out a uh, Facebook user who's in the cinematic doctrine group. His name's Travis. Uh, I don't know if I can use his last name. He's in the cinematic doctrine. No, Facebook just first group. name's good. <laughs> just so we don't. Yeah. So he doesn't need to get doxxed. <laughs> uh, so we posted your article, uh, Marvel saw breaking my immersion. And he oh. talked about his, uh, his, his he, had, he had a disagreement with the concept because he's, you know, his thing was like, fundamentally, these movies are children's movies was kind of his point. And so we had a good conversation. But I realized Did he call them too, theme park rides, just like no. <laughs> Martin Scorsese. It's, it's, yeah, he's secretly Martin Scorsese. And I partially realized that some of my comments made in the previous episode were tongue in cheek. And I was like, oh, no, I need to work on like people. First off, I've never considered the idea that people will listen to the show. So that really caught me <laughs> off guard. 
That's really cute. <laughs> I just do this because it's fun ventilation. Oh, uh, it's a creative uh, outlet. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, no. He said something. He's calling me out on the fact I said something dumb. Oh, no. You know. <laughs> I just want to shout out, not just for listening, but for uh, having thoughtful uh, input into our episode. So uh, if you join the the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group, let us know that you listen to our show. And so you can also give us feedback because what other situation do you get to both directly respond to the creators and then they'll actually respond to you because I'm that insecure about my opinions that I'll I'll defend (laughs) them on Facebook. And, and you can uh, always message me and say, hey, cut that out real quick and re-upload it. And then you can be like, I never said this. <laughs> There's crazy. no record of it. <laughs> he claps back. I downloaded the original audio. <laughs> it's like a laser beat. It's <laughs> yeah, a Goku. cinematic doctrine gate. <laughs> but, uh, but what did he say? Because, yeah, I wrote that. I just, I'd be curious to hear what he said. Uh, so he's, he's talking about listening to the episode and how he was like shocked that we would suggest that blood should pool at the foot of a child in a children's film. And... But, but his point is like his thing was just like you shouldn't want that because they're never going to do that because you just have to accept that Marvel is making movies for oh children. Oh my gosh, I do DBT. I know radical acceptance. I know <laughs> that they're not going to do no, it. Well, like it's but um, and it's just like well, it was a it was a it was a it was not it was not a bad point. He was making a good. It's point. true. Yeah, he's so, right. They are kids' movies. Which I mean, it gets to the thing of that like in the episode. Should, don't should I? We, I mention um like I don't want them to shock. I don't. I, they know their demographic. I don't want them to traumatize people. I think that's totally fair. But right. continue. I, I'm not. You're not even the guy criticizing me. I know. Like, <laughs> how dare you? I can't believe it. Uh, yeah. So that was kind of his point. It was kind of like it's a good point. To an extent, it's, it is. It is somewhat unfair. I don't say it's unfair, but it is unfair to. On the one hand, it is unfair to judge Disney for making the movies they're going to make. And I don't know what we expect. But my point is also like, a they've done more shocking things in other projects they've done violence is a step too far for some people but then like even in shang chi they're like swearing and, and making sexual references and stuff which i would argue is less appropriate for children than fake cgi you know goop but but we specifically referenced falcon and Rose soldier where there's blood all over captain america's shield so mm-hmm. but now that i was also like well, what are they gonna do in blade like, <laughs> it's just like yeah like, like what are they gonna do for blade <laughs> yeah. And he was like, and he was like, well, we'll see what they do in the Doctor Strange movie, because that might be a good barometer for what the future holds for their projects. Yeah, because it's 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 still being pushed as a horror movie, right? A Marvel horror movie. I mean, Raimi's directing cool, but like the original director intended to be a horror movie. Well, part of why they departed is because I think Scott Derrickson wanted to probably do something more horror-y, given that he's the guy behind like Sinister and yeah. Yeah, I keep wanting to see if he does something new because I like Sinister. I think he did Exorcist of Emily Rose. Was that Scott Derrickson as well? I think so. I heard. I feel like I heard positive things about that one too. But well, he he's a he's a very liberal, admittedly, but he is identifies as a Christian, so that, mm-hmm. that informs his horror films, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Anywho, uh, so my fun recommendation is a book. I've been recommending a lot of those lately. It's by Patton Oswalt. It's called Silver Screen Fiend. It is a detailed look at his addiction to film. He went through a period of his life where he was addicted to watching movies wow. to the point of an obsessiveness. And it also details his maturity as a writer. It's really fascinating and interesting. He does sort of the Terry Pratchett thing where he has footnotes uh, alongside hmm. his text. It's a really funny book. It's really interesting. It was. It's a good gentle. It's also a good read for anyone. And I would... I would hazard a guess that a lot of the people listening are a fans of movies. Uh, but <laughs> nah, they like books, dude. <laughs> but B, they also um, are, are a lot of people who like things that are creative and artistic also probably fancy themselves to be creative 
uh, as well and have probably tried to write something or have a screenplay in a drawer somewhere they're working on. And it's specifically a great book about that, where he talks about how the key to being creative and raking, making something isn't just consuming lots of other people's art, but you have to actually sit down and write <laughs> and mm-hmm. do it yourself too. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a great mixture of a lot of different genres and points and things. And especially if you're a fan of Patton Oswalt, uh, if you don't know who it is, look him up. He's at some level been involved in something you like. He has been everywhere. My my wife jokes and says he is the guy who, if you're going to do a pilot for a show, you call him because he's going to show up. Yes, <laughs> he, he's the one consistent pilot actor. <laughs> he he will. He's he's a nerd favorite. He's been in Parks and Rec. He was Agent Coning in Age of Shield. He everyone will know him as Remy the Rat from Ratatouille, and he was in King of Queens. He's in tons of stuff. Yeah, 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 he's very played in the nerd culture. Like he's yeah, he's an old school Red Letter Media fan. He's a fan of the angry video game nerd and stuff. And he was in Space Cop and a bunch of other stuff. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.